nothing is so warm and inviting as a powerful story. When told well, stories connect people, stories challenge hearts, stories change hearts, stories of life, stories of pain, stories of love, and stories of hope. Everyone has a story, and every story is important. Tell your story. Well, I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, I love being with my church family. Uh, That's something that has always been a part of my makeup. Since I was a little kid, I felt like church was more than just a group of people who didn't know each other who got together for an hour on Sunday. I felt like church was a family that got to come together and celebrate the love that we share for Jesus and the love that we share for one another. Uh, There's always been special people in each church. One of the churches that I was a part of had a man named Mr. Mock. It was my last church. Mr. Mock's gone to be with the Lord now, but uh, he loved to restore old cars. And he had a shop that uh, was a little bit down from our church that he would work on them there. And every now and then, I would just stop by to see what he was into. And and invariably, when I would get there, he would show me something he was working on. One of his prize works uh, was a uh, a Model A. I think it's a 1930 Model A. This is not this was not his, but I found a picture like it uh, and uh, a Ford a Ford Coupe uh, that he he was restoring. And, and whenever I would get there. And he would show me this car, or he, he loved the 60 cars, because that's kind of when he was, you know, starting to drive and whatnot. But he would always show me the car. And he would invariably say, let me tell you the story of this car. He would tell me about how, how old he was whenever he drove one of these for the first time. He would tell me how it was made, where it was made. He would tell me a, a little bit about the history of that car. He loved to tell the story of the car. And he said something probably 20 times when I would stop by his shop. He would always say, Nick, every car's got a story. You know? Every, every car might not have a story, but every human being does have a story. God has created us unique, and He has created us so that He could work in us, and we could tell the story of how He has moved in our hearts. Today we're starting a series of sermons entitled, Storytellers. Uh, we're we're going to talk about how you can uh, tell your story of grace, your story of pain, your, your, your story of salvation, your story of family, how, how you can tell that well and how you can tell it for, for God's glory. I don't know about you, but I love a good story. Don't you? You know, I, I'm an audio, uh, or I'm, uh, uh, I'm not an audio learner. You know, if you, if you tell me something, I'm going to forget it. Some of you, I've asked you your names like 25 times, but if you write it down on that card, I remember it the next time. Because I remember everything I see. But even though I'm not an audio learner, I love when somebody can tell a good story. You know, my favorite comedians, they're, they're storytellers. My favorite preachers are, are preachers that can tell, tell good stories. My favorite movies are movies that are based on true stories. Isn't that 
the best part of family reunions when people start telling stories on each other at family reunions. Uh, You don't have to teach children to listen to a good story. They do it naturally, don't they? Uh, Any of y'all's kids have a favorite book? You know, that you read over and over and over. And they're three years old and they can't read a lick. But if you miss one sentence, they call you out. You know, uh, what I found about stories, what makes them so powerful, is they connect to our they connect our hearts to deep universal truths. You know, when we hear another person's story, we often see ourselves. Or we immediately think about something that happened in our life. Or we think about something that should happen in our life. In in stories, we hear elements of life that are just common to humanity. There are threads in almost every story that, that bind us together. Loss, hope, community, pain. I, I think it was Jesus' ability to tell a story that made him so magnetic. Uh, when he would talk about a farmer, or a beggar, or a father, people would just connect with him. And you know what I found? Stories have power, real power. We see this in almost every movie. When a hero's falling apart and they're melting down, at some point in the movie, someone will tell a story that will elevate them to to new determination. Uh, Years ago, maybe longer than the Kentucky losing streak, I don't think, but Saving Private Ryan came out. I think it was 1990, so not quite. But... Uh, when, when Saving Private Ryan came out, it was a difficult movie. We went, my, my wife and I went to watch it in Owensboro. Uh, at, at, at the end of the movie, there were men that were really struggling in the restroom because of just the pain of the movie. It was a really, a really hard, hard show. But there's a scene in the movie. How many of y'all have not seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay. For y'all seven, I'm going to set this up real quickly. there's a young man who's serving in the military. He has three brothers get killed. The intelligence learns about this man uh, who's still alive and think his mother can't lose four children in the war. So they send out a special platoon to find him at like a needle in the haystack. They're scouring the German or the the, uh, France countryside trying to to find him. Uh, And these men have just stormed Normandy. And they get sent out on this mission, which is really like a suicide mission, and they're really frustrated to be going in the first place. But they think if that gets them out of the war, then, then it's worth doing. Well, they're led by Tom Hanks, who's kind of a, 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 a reserved but yet strong leader uh, in the movie. And, and throughout the movie, they're kind of taking bets on what he did. But he was so reserved back when he was at home. But he was so reserved, he wouldn't tell them what he did. Well, while they're on the way, they run into a machine gun nest. I don't know if you remember the scene. They they have this moral dilemma. They're supposed to go find Private Ryan. But they know this machine gun nest is going to kill some of their buddies. And so they decide to storm and take the machine gun nest. They do overtake it, but they lose one of their their buddies in the midst of it, and they're falling apart. Y'all remember that part of the scene? I mean, they are falling apart. 
And while one's got a gun pointed at another, they're yelling at one another, I'm going home, they're going to shoot captives. All of a sudden, Hank speaks up and he starts to tell a story. He tells a story of where he was from, that he was a baseball coach. Told a story about his wife and his family. And And he said, if somehow doing the right thing can get us home to that then I want to keep doing the right thing. And you can see that story start to change the men. You know, God has, has made humanity this way. It's His design. It's not Hollywood's concoction. For thousands of years, men have listened to, read about, and watched stories that have transformed their lives. Over the summer, we've been studying the book of Revelation. And the first few chapters focus on what Jesus has done for us. And then the next couple of chapters focus on what he's going to do or what he's doing in the church. And then the final few chapters deal with the judgment that's going to come to earth. It's not easy. It's hard to understand. But there's a clear message. God is in control of history. And believers will be victorious over evil. But there's an interesting scene in Revelation 12. War breaks out in heaven. And Satan rebels against God and is cast to the earth. And, and, and he recognizes that he has failed to overthrow God, so he turns his sights on the church. And in Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, They conquered him, the family, has conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. He says that believers overcome evil three ways, by the blood of the Lamb, by courage in the face of death, and by the word of their testimony. Guys, there's great power in a Christ-filled story. And I want to ask you, we're about to get into the Scripture and dig in. Have you been telling your story? Have you seen it as your mission to tell what God has done in your life? Your story is powerful because it reminds you, sometimes when I get down, I've got to go back to Bethel. And I've got to go back to those moments where God has gripped my heart and where God has moved in my life. And in those moments, God lifts me up. Sometimes you need to tell the story because it's powerful for others. People hear what God is doing in your life and it encourages them that He can do the same in theirs. Every life has a story. And all believers should tell their story. We shouldn't just be a congregation of saved believers. We should be a congregation of storytellers. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. We have a very unusual story here. Uh, And uh, uh, be patient as we walk through it. Verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. Your Bible might say the Gadarenes. Your Bible might say the Gergesenes. There's some uh, disagreement over where this location actually was, and we not, are not sure what the original text said there. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure wherever it was was on the eastern shore of Galilee where there are cliffs and caves that fit the story. But while they're there in the Gerasenes, Jesus gets out of the boat, and a man with an unclean spirit comes out of the tombs to meet him. He's unclean uh, for several reasons. Mark's writing to a Jewish audience, and he's unclean 
uh, first because he has an evil spirit within him. He's unclean because he's walking among the tombs, which is taboo. And he's unclean because he's in a Gentile area. So for several reasons, he's unclean, but he's weird. This guy who's in the tombs is just a little off-center. You read the text, it's true. He's different because he lived in the tombs. Nobody signs up for that. You know, and, but this guy does. He's unusual because no one was able to restrain him, even with chains, because he'd been bound lots of times, but no matter how much they shackled him, no matter how much they, they tried to contain him, he would break off the chains and smash the shackles. Nobody was strong enough. He was unusual because he cried out all the time. Day and night, he cried out from the tombs. He was unusual because he cut himself with stones. This is a strange story, but it gets a lot stranger. When Jesus arrives, he immediately recognizes that there's a demon in this man, and he exercises that demon. He commands the demon to come out of him, and and, and the, the demon responds. When the demon sees Jesus from a distance... He, he forces this man that he possesses to run and kneel down before Jesus. And he cries out with a loud voice. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. Uh, demons employed the name of Jesus in an attempt to render him ineffective. They believe that knowing the name of a, a demon was thought to assist in exorcism. And they thought that knowing the name of the exorcist would hinder him from being powerful. Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, my name's Legion. Because there were many. A legion was a division of the Roman army, about 6,000 soldiers. They were organized. They were powerful. They were incredibly strong. You get the picture. This man has this mob of demons ruling and ruining his life. Now, the demons knew they were defeated. Jesus had commanded him to come out. And they were trying to plea bargain with Jesus. Verse 10. He kept begging him. Don't send me out of the region. And there were a large herd of pigs there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him and said, send us to the the pigs so that we may enter them. And it seems that they kind of want a concession from Jesus because verse 13 tells us, and he gave them permission. All right, go ahead. But Jesus shows that he has the power to deliver humanity and destroy the works of the enemy. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned there. Now needless to say, this caused a lot of stir in the town because verse 14 tells us that the men who tended the, the, the pigs ran off and they reported it to the town and the countryside and the people went to see what, what, had, what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there dressed And he was in his right mind, and they were afraid. Does anybody else see that as like a weird verse? I mean, here you've got a guy who's been running around screaming, cutting himself, living in the tombs, and now he's sitting in his right mind, sipping on a latte, and they are afraid? You know, I mean, they're afraid of what Jesus has has done. And they beg Jesus to leave. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and and told them about the pigs, and they begged him to leave their region. They were upset with Jesus because they feel like he had stolen their bacon. You know, they felt like that he had... That's bad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Never do that. 
They felt like Jesus had ruined their economy. You know, and, and, and let's call this what it is. And we can say this about church. We can say this about uh, a lot of times in our family lives. What I found is people are very self-centered. Here you've got a man who his world is upside down. You've got a man who, 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 who is tormented by the evil one. Jesus has done this miracle in his life. And they're mad because their world is inconvenienced. A lot of the times that's the way we are. I don't know if we care about people nearly as much as we care about stuff. Many people are motivated by their pocketbooks more than they are by the welfare of others. And this is obviously the case here. They beg Jesus to leave. And so Jesus says, all right. He gets into the boat. And the man who was demon-possessed starts begging him, let me go with you, Jesus. Let me go with you. People who've been changed by Jesus want to spend time with Jesus. Guys, if I were ever one of those folks who struggled in my Christian walk, and whether I was a believer or not, I would ask, has there ever been a time that in my life where I really wanted to be with Jesus? Saved people want to be with Jesus. This man's saved. This man's delivered. He wants to be with Jesus, and he keeps begging him. Notice it says, he kept begging him. His life's been changed. I want to go. But then in one of the strangest statements in Scripture, Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. No, I don't, I don't want you to go. Instead, he says, go back home. Jesus wasn't afraid of this man, that he would revert back to his ways. He wasn't just an annoying personality that he didn't want in his disciples' uh, 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 group. It wasn't that he had too many disciples, but he had a purpose for this man. I want you to stay where you are, and I want you to tell your story. Verse 19. So he went out and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how how much Jesus had done for him. Uh, I just want to say some of you are very interested in mission work. Praise God. I pray that we send out missionary after missionary after missionary from our church. I pray that there's a day where we don't have three IMB missionaries from our church. I pray there's the day where we have 20 IMB missionaries from our church and where we have many people who've gone out and are on campuses. But I want you to understand something. The making of a missionary starts at home. Sharing the gospel has to start where you are. Right now, telling the story of Christ. He went to the Decapolis, an area of ten cities that's filled with the Gentiles. And just by the way, some people would say that Paul had a ministry to the Gentiles, but Jesus didn't. The Decapolis was purely a Gentile city, and so here's a precursor of Jesus' work uh, among the Gentiles as he sends this man out into these cities. And so the man goes, and God uses his story uh, because he, he went out and proclaimed what Jesus had done, and they, they were all amazed. Let me give you some simple biblical lessons today. Number one, you know when I read this story, there's some weird stuff in here and I could get caught up in some weird stuff. But here's some simple stuff. Satan wants to destroy your life and waste your story. He absolutely wants to undermine your, your story. And, 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 and some of you have had a legion of problems. And it's obvious. Others of you, maybe your problems have been hidden. 
But regardless, Satan wants to keep you in chains, and he would love for your story to be wasted. I I found that a wasted life comes in a variety of flavors. Some of you have been wallowing over regret of your past. Maybe you were a bad dad, and your kids have moved on, and you've solidified that. Maybe you failed in business. Maybe you're a spiritual yo-yo. You're hot one week and you're cold another. And Satan wants you to wallow in that past. That's not God. Some of you here live chained to bad habits. You, You want to follow Jesus, but that thing which so easily ensnares you, trips you up, and Satan wants to to destroy your life and waste your story. Others have simply been deceived into wasting their story through apathy. They're 30 years old, and when I'm 40, I'll get serious about Jesus. Or when I'm 50, I'll get serious about Jesus. Or maybe when I retire, I'll get serious about Jesus. And before you know it, you wake up and you're almost dead. And Satan whispers, too late. You missed it. Satan wants to destroy your story. That's what the thief does. Didn't Jesus say that? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's true. It was true then. It is true now. But the good news is that verse doesn't end there. Jesus says, I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to use your story for His purposes. Another thing I take from this story is no one is beyond God's redemption. The man possessed by legion was the last person people expected to follow Jesus. I, I read a story this week of Rosaria Butterfield. Any of y'all ever heard of her? In 1999, she was tenured as a professor at Syracuse University. She was in a department that dealt with human sexuality. She was the leading expert in gay and lesbian, transit, transgender, and, and queer issues. The LGBTQ issues. She, she had written a book uh, entitled Queer Theory that talked about how those who, uh, of her persuasion, she was a lesbian, those of her persuasion could fight against the most dangerous threat she saw to her movement, which was evangelical Christians. Rosario Butterfield said, if you're going to stand against those crazies, you've got to know those crazies. And so Rosario Butterfield started reading the Bible. Just got her tenure at Syracuse. She was reading the Bible to find out how she could argue against evangelicalism and uh, to, to help uh, her agenda succeed in the face of such evil opposition as we are. She read the Bible through, and she read it again. She said the fourth time she moved from reading the Bible to the Bible reading her. And all of a sudden, God got a hold of her heart and He saved her. Now, she is married to a Presbyterian minister. She has four children. 
But she tells her story. She says, when I followed Jesus, I lost everything. She lost her job. Uh, she lost her partner. She said she had her dog for a while, but her partner took that. She lost everything. But she found Jesus. And now her life is radically redeemed. Rosaria Butterfield, if you want to look that up, B-U-T-T-E-R-F-I-E-L-D. Uh, she speaks around the country now about how God can redeem any and every life. And we hear these stories, powerful stories, all the time. An inmate convert, an atheist who now believes, a journalist who saved, a strung-out neighbor who's now clean, a well-to-do businessman who, who, who realized that riches weren't nearly as great as Christ, a down-and-out neighbor, all of those can be redeemed. Isaiah says, the Lord's hand is not too short to save. His ear is not too deaf to hear. There is no one too far gone. Your wandering child is not too far gone. Your, your atheistic professor is not too far gone. There is not a person who is beyond the reach of Christ and the redemptive power of our God. We'll talk about this in the next few weeks, but one of the things that I've noticed about your life is the chapter of your story that you least like may be the chapter of your story that God uses most. You know, I mean, some of you have stories of failed marriages, and that might be the story that God uses the most to help other people give Him glory. Some of you have stories of, of wayward children some of you have a story that's filled with grief. Others have a rap sheet that's this long. That may be the part of your story that God uses the most. Maybe someone needs to see that God could still use people like you. A person who was hooked on drugs. A person who wasn't just the victim of infidelity, but was the perpetrator of infidelity. Maybe a person who's trapped in pain. Maybe you feel like you're so over it and you, you don't want to share, but that might be the part of, of your story that God will use the most. And I'm not talking about glamorizing or showboating sin. I, I'm not talking about bragging on, on what you've done wrong, but I am saying that God uses the weak things of this world, not the strong. And if you're a messed up wreck, God says, you're on my list. I can use you. And if you think you're strong, probably very few people have been really used by you or really touched by you and your story. Uh, it's the broken things of the world where God gets the most glory. Now, with that, not everybody will celebrate what God's doing in your life. This town should have been overjoyed. But this man whose life was a train wreck was restored, but their selfish interest was not served, and they wanted Jesus to leave. When you follow Jesus, some people will be antagonistic and some will be skeptical. But remember something, and this is deep, so get this. Write this down. You know, put it on your mirror. It's not their story. Who cares what they think? Live the story that, that you want people to share at your funeral. You want people to say, this person lived for God. They love Jesus. It's not their story. Who cares if other people are antagonistic or skeptical?
and I, I'm gonna, I want to pause for a second. It's not easy for those of us who are people pleasers to get there. It's tough because I care what you think a lot. And a lot of times, if you don't like my story, I start trying to adjust my story to please you. But we are to be people who please an audience of one. We are to live so that our Father says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't let other people hold the pen of your story. Only God deserves that right. Don't let their opinion or their influence keep you from following Jesus. Only Jesus should dictate the script of your life. And a life changed by Jesus is powerful. God uses lives that have been changed. And He brings glory to Himself. And He uses them to change people and change communities. And you know what I found? There's a lot of you, you guys in here who've sat here for 40 years. Who think your story's not important or influential. My story's boring. I was raised in church. I've been married for 40 years. I've got good kids and you apologize for that. No, praise God for that. God's made you unique and He can use your unique story. You know, you might say, well, I wish I had a powerful story and I understand I felt this way before. You know, I was saved when I was like 12 years old. God called me to preach when I was 16. You know, I mean, I I get it. I sometimes wish that I was the guy whose life was messed up so I could have that powerful testimony. But I bet some people with the story of radical change wish they'd had your boring story. And besides, who wants to be the naked demon-possessed man who comes to Jesus? Who wants that story? You know? You know, a guy comes knocking on my door to date my daughter. Hey, tell me your story. Well, I used to be naked and run around in the tomb, slam. You know? I'm sorry, brother, you ain't dating my daughter. You know what I mean? The key to your story is not what you've experienced. The key to your story is who holds the pen. Jesus is magnetic. When people see glimpses of Him in our story, that's what's powerful. We're going to dive into this more next week. I'm only going to give you about three or four more minutes of stuff, I think, unless the Lord leads otherwise. But verse 19, I want us to focus in on this. Every story has two common elements. They're here. Do you see them? Go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done and how He has had mercy. Every story has these two common elements of mercy and much. Everybody's story has that. Some of us have received maybe what we feel like is more mercy. Maybe we did have that story of I was down and out and I was and God delivered me and we focus on the mercy part of our story. Some of us were blessed with Christian homes and we were saved at a young age and and, and God just continues to give much and more and we focus on that part of our story. But hasn't he given us all mercy and much? What did he give me? Mercy and much? How different is that than what I gave him? You know, sin and disobedience and inadequacy. But mercy and much. He had mercy on this man in the cemetery. But let me tell you, he had mercy on those of you who are here who were dead in your sins and trespasses. He had mercy on this man who was bound in chains. But he had mercy on those of us who were here who were slaves to sin. 
He, he had mercy on this man who had crazy thoughts. But we were all off in our thinking and our worldviews were wrong. But we come to him and he has mercy. A former pastor I used to have said, if God never did anything else for me, he's already done too much. But you know what my testimony is? I just can't outgive God. The more I give Him my life and say, here I am, God, you can use me and you can have me, the more He blesses me and pours into my life. As a pastor and a dad and a friend, I pray today that God would help you not think that sin is the place that you'll find much. Because some of you believe you'll find much in sin. I pray that God will help you to not be deceived to think that the world is the place where you will find much. Because no matter how much you accumulate and have, it will never seem like enough. But in Jesus you find much. I pray that you would believe that Jesus is the place that you really find much. If you haven't come to Christ, I want you to know that God brings mercy And he brings much. Let's think about this as we close. That's a piece of junk. I saw so many pieces of junk in Mr. Mock's building. But when he finished, I picked this picture because it looked very similar to what he finished. That's the same car. That's kind of what happened to me. I was only a 12-year-old boy, but I felt like a wreck and junk. I'm not there yet. God's still working on me, and until I get to heaven, there's still some repairs and, and, and changes that have to take place. But praise the Lord, I'm not who I used to be. Jesus has brought me mercy and much. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would encourage people to tell the story of what you've done in their life. God, I pray that you would help us to believe that you can change anyone And that includes us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to show mercy, Lord. Lord, I know I don't deserve to be here and preach to these folks today. God, I pray that you would continue to extend mercy. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that as you give much, Lord, I would give all glory and credit to you. Father, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here today, Lord, whose life's a wreck, I pray, Father God, that you will just move in their life and help them to believe that you can restore them and redeem them. God, if there's a person here today, Lord, who's never put their trust in you, but they trusted the things of this world, and the, the value of those things seem to be fading in their life, I pray today that they would transfer their trust from things to Jesus. Father, I ask today that you would move in this time of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.